You see, the Torah, brothers and sisters, is the way of life. All this stuff, you know, life and living it to the full. What is living life to the full? Biblically, living life to the full is being totally committed to the Creator. That's the full life. That's the life Yeshua came to give us, a more abundant life to where now we are holy with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We're committed to the work of the Creator and we honor His Torah. We honor His instruction. We can't be totally committed to Him and dishonor the instructions He give us. We have some double-mindedness. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Jehovah's instructions in the Torah given to Moses to teach to the Hebrews covered every aspect of the Hebrew Israelites' lives. The subject of divorce has been a cause of contention since the giving of the Torah and was one of the issues Jehovah specifically instructed Moses on. In this passage, Yeshua was questioned about the cause or reason a man could divorce his wife and specifically spoke about Moses' instructions concerning the bill of divorcement. Yeshua's response to the religious leaders has been a subject of debate and a cause for contention amongst many religious leaders for millennia. Join us as Yeshua addresses this serious subject in his teaching on divorce. The message title in this podcast is Yeshua's Teaching on Divorce. So, let's study. And in this particular teaching, we know that Jehovah's instructions in the Torah given to Moses to teach the Hebrews covered every aspect of the Hebrew Israelites' life. The subject of divorce has been a cause of contention since the giving of the Torah and was one of the issues Jehovah specifically instructed Moses on. And what we're going to do in this passage is we're going to examine the question that Yeshua was asked about the causes or reasons a man could divorce his wife. And we're going to see how he specifically spoke about Moses' instructions concerning the bill of divorcement. Yeshua's response to the religious leaders has been a subject of debate and a cause for contention amongst many religious leaders. Those of you who've come from different denominations and organizations, you will find that there are some organizations and denominations that have their position on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And you'll find that there are others, those of you who have come from different denominations, will find that there are some who are opposed as well as there are some who are in agreement or accept. And what I've had to do is examine my own philosophy because you would be surprised and maybe you won't now, those of you who've been following this ministry and dealing and listening to some of the things that we've been teaching that our philosophy, my philosophy specifically 
of marriage and divorce was shaped by my parents. Many of us come into the faith with an already belief or philosophy or understanding. My parents were both married twice and divorced twice. My mom and dad had a set of children before they met each other. And when they came together, my brothers and I were the result of it. So I have brothers and sisters on my father's side, brothers and sisters on my mother's side, and brothers between my mother and my father. My mom and dad divorced once I became a graduate and joined the military. And from that point on, my mom never remarried. My dad never remarried, but he lived uh, with the woman until he died. My theology was a little bit different than my philosophy. My theology of marriage and divorce was shaped by the churches I attended. Each of the denominations I served in accepted divorce and remarriage. Individuals in ministry could take on leadership roles, ministry roles, even though they had been married, divorced, and in some cases remarried. When I came back to the church, as some of you know, you've heard my testimony, that I was going through a divorce. And prior to going into rehabilitation, my wife had left me. She'd taken my children, our children, and my mom spoke the words not to be like my dad to get some help. So I went into a rehabilitation program and in that rehabilitation program learned some tools that I still apply today. As I came out of that and joined the church, I received the call to ministry. And I remember specifically the battle, the challenge Let me put it this way. I accepted the call. I received the call long before I graduated high school. I didn't understand it. But once I came out of rehabilitation, my brother that is slightly older than me told me to bury myself in the church. I was contemplating a lot of bad stuff, thinking about ending my life and all the kinds of things that people go through when life comes crashing down on them. And I felt that my life had crashed down on me. And what made matters worse, I was the reason my life had come crashing down. So I had to live with the fact that I'd made some terrible choices and the choices that I made caused a lot of hurt a lot of pain, and I was not only the victim, but I was the victimizer. (laughs) I was the one who inflicted pain within myself and having to deal with that pain. So when I went to church and this calling just troubled me, it troubled me the whole time I was in the world, the whole time I was out there doing the things that I knew I shouldn't have been doing, And I come to the place to where I could no longer resist what I knew father was calling me to do, but I had this dilemma. 
this dilemma was how could I enter into ministry and be going through a divorce? My church leaders told me that going through a divorce was not an issue that because my wife and I weren't married in the church because they concluded we weren't saved <laughs> when we got married, which was, you know, in essence, the truth. Neither one of us had asked Jesus, according to the tradition, to come into our lives, even though we had a preacher in our living room uh, marrying us, but we hadn't come to that place. And so the church told us that because we weren't saved when we got married, then our marriage was not necessarily recognized by God in heaven. Now, I didn't think about it at that time. I just didn't know how to deal with that. And now that I have thought about it, it's like, okay, what about the people who did get married in church? I didn't ask that question. I wasn't that person. But, you know, in hindsight, I think about that. Do the same rules apply? And what do you deal with it and how you, you deal with it at that time? But that wasn't my case. And so this is what they told me. But I personally begin to bargain with the almighty. And the bargain is, is that I'll accept this call if you restore my marriage. Of course, you know, uh, as well as I do, you don't have any sway, no bargaining material when it comes down to trying to bargain with the most high. My understanding of marriage was shaped and divorce was shaped by Jehovah and his word many, many years later. Father spoke clearly to me and gave me specific instructions that from that moment on, and I, I went back and I looked, it was in, seemed like a long time ago now, but it doesn't seem that long ago when I taught this teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, the YouTube date on it was September 1, 2016. Has it been that long? Wow. So I taught this teaching, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, in, in 2016, and a couple of years before that, I did the teaching on marriage and marriage God's way. Now, when he gave me the teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, it was very difficult for me. And the reason is because at that point, he told me specifically that I could no longer perform wedding ceremonies if one person had a living spouse. So naturally, the question was, I had performed weddings prior to that moment. And I know that there are people who would hear the teaching that I was doing during this teaching that they would be challenged with and struggling with. And it's like, you know, Father, you got to help me with that. In dealing with this particular topic, it's one of those topics that I would rather not deal with. I mean, I say that up front every time. I mean, back in Matthew chapter five, when we first, you know, Mashiach first addressed this issue, I struggled with it. I struggled with it because not only had I performed marriages with people who had been divorced. I knew many people who had been divorced and remarried. And not only once, 
but in some cases two and three times. And so it's like, how can I do this? Well, it is not my responsibility to try to control people's lives. It's my responsibility to obey what Father gives me to say. And it is from that point of view, because I don't try to judge people. The word does that. And Father ultimately will handle and deal with every person, every circumstance, every situation. And so those issues, just like my issues, as it relates to him, is between him and I, and he has to help me walk through those things. And so from that time until now, the subject of marriage and divorce has been somewhat challenging for my flesh to teach on, as I just stated. In Matthew chapter 19, this is the second time Yeshua addresses this particular subject matter in Matthew. It says, it came to pass that when Yeshua had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, the reason why I pointed out this particular teaching is because I'm not going to try to reteach this teaching. This teaching has six DVDs and over eight hours of teaching that goes extensively into the subject matter. And we address several questions and doctrinal positions that people addressed. One of those issues was the difference between putting away and divorce, that that was from a Judaic perspective to put a man or to put away a wife is to send a wife away without giving her a divorce. But we know based on what is written and one could make that argument unless they do the search and the study. This is the second time Yeshua deals with the subject of divorce in the gospel of Matthew. And the first time he does deal with this subject is when he starts his ministry. Now, those of you who have been following us, you know that Yeshua started his ministry after John had been put in prison. The question, why was John put in prison? Because he had confronted Herod. Herod, at the time, had married his brother's wife. Of course, his brother was still alive. And John confronted him because he was married to his brother's wife. And as a result, Herodias, or his wife, had a, a major issue, and she wanted him dead. Now, I can easily see how teaching on this subject matter, that there would be those in her position who would have some of the same issues and feelings about me. You know, that as John dealt with the king, and the king was the representative of the nation, if you would. However, when John confronted him, in Mark chapter 6, it says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid, upon, laid hold upon John and bound him in prison 
for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. This was the issue that got John's head cut off. I plan on keeping my head. I do. <laughs> but I understand the feelings and the emotions and the spirit behind it. Had his brother been dead, marrying his wife would not have been an issue. But according to Torah, it says in Leviticus 20, 21, and if a man take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Now, we also know that according to the Torah, if a man had a wife and she died or he died before producing a child, then the brother had a responsibility to marry that woman. And the first child would be his brother's child. Some would call that the liverite marriage. This was not the case for Herodias and for Herod because he had taken his brother's wife. Doesn't say whether she was divorced. I mean, one could assume, but one we do know is that according to the language of the text, his brother was still alive. Now the word put away in both the Hebrew and the Greek in the Hebrew, the word put away and divorce is the same word. In the Greek, we're going to find that put away and divorce is the same word, which dispels that argument that there's a difference. In the Greek, it's apolu, and that is to set free, to let go, to dismiss, to detain. It goes on, used of divorce, to dismiss from the house, to repudiate. It's usage, to release, to put away, to send away, to let go, to dismiss. And then, and here's what I, you know, finding a verse with both words in it. The word I just gave you was from the Greek. We'll deal with the other portion as we go. But in Leviticus 21, 7, it says, they shall not take a wife that is a whore or profane, neither shall they take a woman put away from her husband, for he is holy unto his Elohim. And this is pertaining to the priest. The priest was not to take a woman who had been put away from her husband. And this word, garage, it's to drive out, to expel, to cast out, to drive away, divorce. And it's usage similar to drive out, cast out, thrust out, drive away, put away, divorce, driven, so on, divorced woman. In Leviticus 21, verse 14, it states that the priest could not take, if you read the verse before, you'll see who he's talking about here. The Almighty, this is not Moses writing, this is the Almighty giving Moses the instructions that a widow or a divorced woman or profane or an harlot, these shall he not take, but he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. 
These are the instructions pertaining to the priests as it relates to marriage. And this word divorced woman in this passage is the same word for put away in the previous passage. It's garage. Now, the same Greek word used for put away and divorce in Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 32. And we dealt with this prior when we were in Matthew says, but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication causes her to commit adultery. And so we see both these words, adultery and fornication also in this verse. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. And here again, we have the word divorced, put away, fornication, adultery, all in one verse, which lets us know that the choice of words that Messiah is using is not by happenstance and the way they are interpreted gives us the insight to what Yeshua is saying. When it comes down to the word again, put away, it's the word apulo or apulo, uo, apulo, to set free, to release, to put away, to dismiss, to detain no longer. And so all of these words are associated, and that's the word put away, but divorced is the same word. So when one tries to make the argument that putting away and divorce is two different things, that a man could put away his wife without giving her a bill of divorcement, that's what Yeshua was speaking of, or he gives her a bill of divorcement. Well, he's using both of the words put away and divorce in the same verse. And so that argument doesn't hold. Now, Yeshua's response took them to the creator's intent in the beginning, before the fall of man. And, you know, I've been watching and going back and looking at some of the comments that individuals would make. It's whenever certain subjects that Yeshua speaks about, individuals jump to Paul as if Paul is the voice for the church that Yeshua paid for. And of course, Paul doesn't contradict Yeshua, but people use Paul's teachings or or use Paul's writings seemingly in a contradictory way. We're going to deal with some of that later on in this teaching. Uh, We're not going to take a whole lot of time because I want to get us get away from this as fast as some of you all would like for me to get away from it. Cause I'm not coming for nobody. Your situation, your life, your relationship, that's between you and the most high. <laughs> but I have to look at my own life and my own relationship because everything we do is influenced by the information that we have. And if we have the right information, we make right decisions. If we have wrong information, we make wrong decisions. And we can't blame the people around us, although much of our philosophies and our theologies are shaped by those individuals who have authority in our lives, parents, uncles, the community that we are shaping in, as David said, I was born in sin, shaping in iniquity. 
What we see done, we believe is permissible because it's being done by those that we hold in high esteem. And so our way of thinking is shapen by our society, by our community. Even more so today, we see the pressure that community and society can put on us, forcing us in some ways to comply or to be labeled as anti or a rebel or uncaring or however word they want to choose to identify those who don't go with the flow. So now they question Yeshua because the question was, can a man, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause or in some versions for any cause? And so Yeshua now deals with this particular subject. And he answered and said unto them, have you not read? Now, we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that Yeshua did not teach from the New Testament. I had one fella said I should be ashamed for teaching from the King James Bible. And then he quoted a verse from the complete Jewish Bible. He says, Yeshua didn't teach from the King James. You think he taught from the complete Jewish Bible? I mean, people say some of the darndest things. Because in their ignorance, they see themselves as intelligent and not even realizing that sometimes when they question people's intelligence, they expose their own ignorance. So he said, have you not read? And this is something Messiah, he not only dealt with the devil. You remember when when he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and the devil would speak and he says it is written and he would speak again and it is written. And then he quotes scripture and Yeshua says, you know, thou shall not tempt. It is written. And here it is. They're questioning him on a subject. I'm sure they knew because everybody knew about John. The Pharisees sent, People to question John as to who he was, and John had to tell them who he wasn't because all people were looking, so everybody knew that John was in prison. This was not something done in, in the dark. John was in prison. His disciples were moving around, communicating. Remember, his disciples came and said to him, says, Yeshua, are you the one? John sent us. We're disciples of John. Are you the one or should we look for somebody else? The word of John being in prison was known. And when John confronted Herod, John was confronting Herod because of the law. So Yeshua now is dealing with the Pharisee who's confronting him because of the law. Is it lawful? So what does he do? He points them to the law. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning? Let me stop you for a moment because it's important for us to understand this one thing. 
the intent of Father for his creation was clearly known, made known by him before the transgression of man. Everything that took place after the transgression of man was the response to Jehovah's fallen man. When he made the statement that a woman's desire would be to her husband, that was after the fall. Before the fall, you got to remember, you got to see it. What did he do? He made male and female. According to Genesis chapter five, he made male and female and he called them both what? Adam or man. This is the almighty. He's saying that in the beginning, when he made them, he made them male and female. Genesis chapter five. Let me just take you there real quick. Verse one in the book of the generation of Adam in the day that Elohim created man in the likeness of Elohim made he him male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So here in Genesis five, after the fall, he is Moses is writing about what took place before the fall. If you look at what he did when he made them, he brought the woman to the man and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, have dominion over it. And this wasn't, he didn't put man over woman. Now I know this is hard for theological people to get. He did not put Adam as head of Eve. In fact, he didn't call Eve, Eve, Adam gave her that name. If you don't see this, you miss the whole Bible. Man and woman was created to rule together. In order for that to happen, there has to be a submission on both parts. Nobody get to tell the other person what to do. Now, I know we've been warped by church. So when the woman went to the tree, Adam had no authority to stop her. He had the ability to resist her giving him the fruit, but he didn't have the authority to tell her she couldn't have the fruit. It was after the fall. And after the fall, man has been messed up in the head because they interpret instructions after the fall as if it was father's intent in creation. Restoration is to be restored to a pre-fall position. In other words, when we are restored to the kingdom, we no longer think like a fallen man. We no longer think like a man who has fallen into sin. If you think that way, then you can accurately and honestly say you are a sinner. When you come into right relationship with the Almighty, 
you are born again. This is how the Messiah could say, go and sin no more. Sin then becomes a transgression of the law. By upholding the law of the Almighty, this is what people who are not sinners do. When you are restored, Father gives a free people instructions and commands on how to live as a free, holy nation. He says, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and they shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be what? One flesh. And here's where I like to inject. Which one? Anyone, some of the biggest issues that men and women have today is they don't know how to submit to one another. And they say, well, woman is a helpmate. Well, why do you think you need help? What's the point in having a helpmate who has no voice? What's the point in having someone who, need, who he says, listen, man, you need some help. So I'm going to give you somebody that's going to help you. Not for you to rule over, not for you to put under your thumb, not for you to control, not for you to be the head. That language is nowhere near creation. That language is after. And I will tell you, brothers and sisters, if you want to have any kind of a successful relationship with a spouse, you're going to have to learn how to submit one to another. Now, there's some folks out there listening to me right now. And they're talking about, listen, man is ahead of the woman. Yeah, that's why you divorced. That's why you can't hold on to one. See, your, your theology is off. But when you learn proper theology, woman is not supposed to control man. Man is not control, supposed to control woman. They both are supposed to listen to the instructions of the Almighty. This is why when judgment day comes, everybody will stand on their own merit. The wife can't say my husband. The husband can't say my wife. Even the devil's going to be dealt with. Every person will have to give an account for themselves. No one else. So husband, you think you run things? Imagine you having to be judged for your wife's actions. Think about that for a moment. You see, when father dealt with those who disobeyed his instructions, he dealt with the serpent, he dealt with the woman, and he dealt with the man. Now, get this, and this is how it gets weird for people. When he dealt with the man, he says, because you listen to the woman. Well, he failed to listen to his creator. It wasn't because he listened to the woman is that the woman gave you some instructions that was contrary to what I said. And you listened to that. 
She gave you some instructions that was contrary to what I said, and you listened. Whether it be the woman, whether it be the devil, whether it be your best friend, whoever you listen to that is speaking contrary to what he has instructed is where you begin to listen to another voice. My sheep know my voice. What is his voice? His word. Many of us have made decisions based on the preacher's voice preaching from the word. And I'll tell you, it will not be difficult for you to find a preacher that will agree with your philosophy and your theology. They're a dime a dozen. Verse six, he says, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. Now notice what he says in verse five. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And then he goes further and says, Wherefore they are no more two, but one. What therefore God is joined together, let not man put asunder. The Pharisees, of course, like many of us, are not satisfied with Yeshua's answers and took the subject a step further. They said unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? So what's the question? Why did Moses command a writing of divorcement and to put her away? So what is he saying here? The writing of divorcement was the part of putting her away. So why did he command it? Answer, because of the hardness of your hearts. That's the answer in a nutshell. Because your heart is hard. I've had enough. I'm not taking no more of this. I'm done. I've put up with all I'm going to put up with. I am not going through this another day. Who's talking? See, let me tell you something about us, folks. We are experts at seeing the faults of other people. Oh, we see their flaws. Here's how we deal with our flaws. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've made some mistakes. I know I haven't done everything right. Why don't you stop right there? No, because I can't stop right there. I'm not the problem. But wait a minute. You're not perfect. You haven't done everything right. And you know you got faults. Well, why don't you stop there and work on that? Because I'm going to tell you something. By ourselves, we are a mess. By ourselves, we are indecisive. By ourselves, it's hard to submit to him and him alone. That's by ourselves. Don't add another person into the equation. You see, nobody can make you whole. He is the only one who can make you whole. Your spouse don't complete you. That's some psychological nonsense that has been drilled in our heads. Right, it's not good for you to be alone. Why? Because two are better than one. See, the thing about a BFF, a best friend, 
Best friends overlook the faults of the best friend. They go through some stuff, right? They can forgive, move on, tell their stories in the good old by and by. Well, you know, not in the good old by and by, but later on down the line and even pass these stories on to the grandchildren. How do you manage to, to stay best friends all these years? Because the same equation is true when it comes down to being married to death. It's hard. It's challenging. Apart from Messiah, it's almost impossible. And yet people who aren't in Messiah seems to be able to do it. There are people that you and I know, have known, who don't claim to be Torah observant, spirit-filled even, whose marriages have lasted a lifetime. He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So he says, listen, before Moses came along, here's how it was. Moses received the instruction from the Almighty. Why? Who gave Moses these instructions? The Almighty. Why? Because the people's hearts were hard. Now, when did he figure that out? He knew before he sent Moses. These are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people, Moses. Stand aside. Let me deal with them. I'll start over with you. Hard-hearted people did what they desired, regardless to what Jehovah wanted or said. Moses permitted it, but in the beginning, it was not so. So in essence, Jehovah permitted it because Moses didn't come up with the bill of divorcement. Moses didn't come up with the rules, with the law, with the Torah. It was given to him. Verse 9, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, shall marry another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Now notice adultery and fornication is in the same verse. So notice what Yeshua did not say, except it be for adultery. He said, except it be for fornication. So again, he uses both words in the same sentence, so it is clear he's not confusing the words. Single people fornicate. Married people who have sex with someone other than their spouse commits adultery. So how can a married person fornicate? Well, we dealt with this in the teaching marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Fornication can only be done when one is single, not when one is married. Even the single person, if a single person had sex with another single person, it's fornication. But if a single person has sex with someone who is married, they're committing adultery. Married people can't fornicate, brothers and sisters. So there's something here that Yeshua is saying, but remember, he's pointing to Moses. And that's why we dealt with that topic. So we're going to keep moving. Fornication, pornea is illicit sexual intercourse, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism. It goes on. Adultery, 
to have unlawful intercourse with another's wife, to commit adultery with, and whether it be a, a wife or a husband. If you're married and you're having sex with someone who is not your wife or not your husband, that is adultery. And guess what? Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom. So what do we have to do if, if you're involved in that? Yeshua's response caused his disciples to conclude, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry? This is what they said. His disciples said unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. What case? What case is he referring to? Because it is good to marry. It is good to marry. Marriage is ordained by the Almighty. But that's not the issue. They're not asking about marriage as far as it's concerned. They're dealing with the issue. Well, what if you are married to someone and your spouse is unfaithful? Now it's good <laughs> that you don't get married because it's better not to marry than to have a marriage with somebody who is not faithful. And that's the whole context is putting away divorcing. Who wants to divorce? Nobody gets married to get a divorce. But do you know, relationships can be, become so painful, so hurtful, so damaging and destructive to where all you can think about is getting out. All you can think about is getting away. When people get married, you would think they get married because they want to be married. When a person gets a divorce, they're saying they don't want to be married anymore. So to get married because you want to be married and then divorce because you don't want to be married anymore to turn around and get married again. It seems like it defeats the whole purpose of divorcing. Why would the disciples draw the conclusion? It is not good to marry if Yeshua was providing a way out. Because in the beginning, it's not so. They're one. The two becomes one. That is a supernatural principle. I didn't make this stuff up. It's there. I have to deal with it. I have to struggle with it. I said to my daughters that the only thing that's keeping their mom and I together is the Torah. Now, you got to understand, they don't necessarily adhere to it, the Torah. But of a truth, the only thing that is keeping my wife and I together is the Torah. That's just the way it is. So if he's providing a way out, then why would they make such a statement? You see, the Torah, brothers and sisters, is the way of life. All this stuff, you know, life and living it to the full. What is living life to the full? Biblically, living life to the full is being totally committed to the creator. That's the full life. That's the life Yeshua came to give us, a more abundant life to where now 
We are holy with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We're committed to the work of the creator and we honor his Torah. We honor his instruction. We can't be totally committed to him and dishonor the instructions he give us. We have some double-mindedness. You didn't come to that on your own. Society had a huge hand in it. Our religions, our pastors and deacons, our parents, the examples of the people we look up to and respect and admire. They have all in their life by their example has shapen our outlook, our worldview, how we see things more so than the book. See, the book is something to carry and read. To live by this book requires death. Most people say they're dying to self, but you know what? If you were dead, you wouldn't be getting as angry as you do. You wouldn't be getting as upset and as bothered. You wouldn't be scheming and conniving because dead people don't do that kind of stuff. You might die for a moment and then you resurrect and then convict because you resurrect and try to die again. And do well, but then the resurrection. It's like it's a series of death and resurrection, death and resurrection. Verse 11, but he said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying. Now, what was the question? If it's this way, if the case of the man be so good with his wife, it is not good to marry. So what are they saying? The question is, is that listen, so we should be eunuchs. That's how he gets on the conversation, because that's the question. If a man cannot put his confidence in the fact that he can marry a woman, there's not going to be any issues between them for the rest of their lives. And they're going to live unto the almighty until death as one flesh. If they can't do that, then it's better for a man to be a eunuch. That's the question. The, the reason why I know that's the question is because if you really ever want to understand the question, look at the answer. It is not good to marry. And Yeshua says, all men cannot receive that saying. What saying? It's not good to marry because if you don't marry, that means you're going to spend the rest of your life not having sex. You're going to go through life never, ever having the experience of sex with the opposite sex. But guess what? John did it. Yeshua did it. And I can tell you something. Based on the two of them, it doesn't seem as if sex had the importance that the world puts on it. The reason I believe, and this is something we all going to have to deal with and, and, and wrestle with and struggle with in our own, is that the purpose of sex is for procreation. If you look at the animal kingdom, whenever the animals come together, it's for mating. 
Until then, everybody is doing their own business wherever they are. There is a mating season, and when that mating season hits, they come together not for casual sex, not just to enjoy one another, but to reproduce. That was the purpose. That's why it was given. The animal kingdom understands that. But somehow, the kingdom of men have perverted that philosophy. There comes a point in your life to where sex don't have the value that it did when you were younger. There's a point in the life of people where companionship becomes more valuable and more important than sex. Having someone to commune with, having someone to fellowship with, having someone to talk with, having someone to just spend time with together. You could sleep in the same bed for days, for weeks and months and not even touch one another. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Because it gets to a point when you get mature, that the stuff you thought was so important when you were immature is not as important in your maturity. Why? Because we've allowed the world around us to shape our philosophies, our psychologies, even to the point to where there's some men out there who, who feel like they real important the more they sleep with women notches in their belt. And then you got some of these folks out there, they want to have three and four wives or three and four women or five and six baby mamas and go from one to the other, to the other, to the other, like it's nothing. No commitment, ungodly, no moral value, totally unknowing, if you would, that they're going to have to give an account for all of that behavior at some point in life. And none of us are exempt from that judgment. Based on Yeshua's response, his answer was yes. It is better for you not to marry. But then he goes on and say, but everybody can't receive that. Notice, but, uh, but not all could receive that saying, only those who were called to receive it. That's his response. Notice what he says. Those who were born eunuchs, those who were made eunuchs by men, and those who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. This is his response. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were, how did they get on the conversation of eunuchs? Because of the question. Basically saying, understand something. If you don't marry, then you have to be a eunuch. You can't just be going out there casting your seeds around. If you don't marry, then you decide to be a eunuch. That's if you're going to be in this kingdom. It took me a while to come to realize that everybody ain't supposed to marry. Now, that's contrary to world philosophy. And some would even argue that it's contrary to creation. 
Well, we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Well, Yeshua says, listen, there are some who are called to be eunuchs. How does that fit with them? Imagine being a eunuch dealing with that kind of teaching in your church. You're a eunuch for the kingdom, and the preacher saying, you're supposed to be married. All people are not called to be married. Again, it took me a while to come to that conclusion, but if I look at the master and his teachings, I have no choice. He says, for there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. They had no choice. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. These are men who have harems. They get a man, they castrate them, make them a eunuch, and then put them over their harem. But then there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs. Imagine being a person who makes the decision that you're going to live the rest of your life in the kingdom, for the kingdom, and sex will not be a part of that life. Again, we've got examples in the New Testament. John. Now, obviously, his parents couldn't do it because they had him, and they've been trying for a long time. But John. Yeshua, I can imagine Yeshua's mama, you know, as, as some of my Jewish friends would say, you know, being a good Jewish mama, I can imagine her putting the pressure on him. It's like, when are you going to get married, son? I mean, you're 30 years old now. When are you going to give me some grandbabies? And Yeshua has to resist this conversation. Now you say, well, how do you know he had that conversation? Well, imagine getting through life, being 30 years old, having parents, having siblings, and not being married. Imagine that kind of pressure. And then having the sisters in the neighborhood whose parents are putting pressure on them to bring some grandbabies. They out there scouting for potential <laughs> suitors. <laughs> I can imagine Pops and mamas coming over to Mary and Joseph's house said, listen, you know, we like to betroth our daughter. We think, you sure, you know, we've been watching him. He seems to be knowledgeable of the scriptures. He knows how to hold his own in the word. He seems to have knowledge beyond the average person. I think he'd make a great husband. See, when you start immersing yourself in the word, you start seeing things from a different perspective. How in the world did this man get to be 30-some years old and not married? Is it possible he made himself a eunuch? Is it possible that John understood his purpose, understood his calling, down to his last breath, two New Testament examples, we don't know Paul's situation, but seemingly Paul may have followed that same path. He goes on to say, there are those who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. If you're able to receive the fact that you, for the sake of the kingdom, is going to commit yourself and be married to the almighty and to the calling of the Almighty on your life, and is able to resist all the temptations, all of the human emotional 
psychological sexual desires, then you're able to receive this. And you're committed to making that decision. And just as you would be able to receive that decision, you also have to be able to receive the decision to walk in his word, whether you be married or not. The Christian church divorced from the laws of God has diminished the role of Elohim in his word and his word in the lives of Christians. See, when a person rejects the Torah, they reject the one who gave it. If they attribute it to Moses, then they can reject Moses. But we've taught Moses didn't write the Torah. Moses scribed. He was given what to written. He didn't just decide what to write. David had Uriah killed so that he could have his wife after he'd committed adultery with her. This, as we know, was unacceptable to Jehovah. Says, listen, David, you could have had any woman in the kingdom. Why do you want to take another man's wife? So what did he do? He killed him. Herod, again, married his brother's wife, which was a violation of Torah. John the Baptist was beheaded for calling Herod out. Had his brother been dead, this would not have been an issue. Herod's brother was still alive. When I did this teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, I shared with you all then that the purpose of the teaching was to stop the bleeding, to stop the immoral behavior. Can't go back and undo what's been done. But with the generation that's coming, they need to have a voice of truth, reference to truth. Imagine that every young person out there seeing the immorality of the world around us without any form of restraint whatsoever. Imagine that. Now you got young people who don't want to get married. They want to live together. You got different types of blended families. And I'm not talking about where one person who has a family marries somebody with another family. You got men sleeping with men, women sleeping with women, individuals sleeping with each other, folks living under the same roof, man, woman, and man, woman, man, and woman. I mean, you've got all manner of ways of thinking. And then you got the church and even in the Torah community, the Torah community is looking at its leadership. And if you've got a Torah teacher, a Moray, or Moriah, or pastor, or an apostle, or bishop, or elder, or, or deacon, or whatever, and they're marrying and divorcing and marrying and remarrying, and you're watching all of this, and regardless of what you see in the Word, you interpret the Word from what you see being performed by those who are teaching the Word. So I know that this Word and these teachings is like a voice in the wilderness. I know this. But for the generation that is and the generations after, and you as parents, even though, because I don't even know why, you know, my mom and dad was divorced twice. All of my sisters divorced, brothers, except for one. That's the mindset in my family. And that's the mindset in a whole bunch of other families. Fathers, talk to your daughters. Talk to your sons. Don't let them be like 
what they have seen, whether it be you or their uncles or their grandparents, whatever the case may be, you have to point them to the word and you have to make them to understand that when you get married, it's a life commitment. Take your time. And let me say this. Son, daughter, please don't go out there and bring somebody home to your parents and try to force them to accept them and reject their authority to to speak into your life. Because see, when people reject the Torah, the Torah says that if a daughter who has a father and she's not married decides and make a decision and the father hears that decision and doesn't do anything, it stands. But the father cannot know. He can say, no, that cannot be. Now, if the daughter or the son honor their father and mother, guess what? They're going to say, okay. If they try to force that situation anyway, that's dishonor. Fathers and mothers have to become honorable. You cannot allow society, the church, and even these so-called Torah communities and assemblies dictate to you how to live your life. The word is supposed to dictate to us. What are you going to say to your daughter, to your son, if they say, well, you did it? It diminishes your argument. But if you haven't done it, says, listen, you guys have been raised up in this house. You've heard us arguing. You've heard us fighting. You've known that we've come to the edge. You've known the circumstances that has taken place in this family. And yet, because of the position that we've taken on the word, that we're going to weather this because we know who we serve and who is able to fix it. All we got to do is just hold out and hold on until our change comes. I ain't willing to do that. I'm, God wants me to be happy today. And this ain't making me happy. See, these are the attitudes and the feelings that we got to deal with because we're surrounded by it. Everybody wants to be happy. They wants to be satisfied. They want to minister to self, self-help. They got a right to enjoy life. Yeah, but if you enjoying life means that you're going to create turbulence and turmoil. If you're going to bring children in the world, you got a responsibility. If you don't understand that responsibility, don't have them. Keep your pants up. Keep your underwear up. Don't be out there sleeping with somebody exchanging body fluids. This is a hard saying in a sensitive world. Yeshua concludes this conversation in Mark's gospel by stating, and he said unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committed adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she commits adultery. Luke states, whoever put away his wife and marry another commits adultery and whosoever marry her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. People overlook what Paul wrote here. For the woman, Romans chapter 7, verse 2, for the woman which hath the husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, 
she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Don't get mad at me for reading the scriptures. Don't get mad at me for putting it out there. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't come up with it because people will find their, they'll find their justification. And then finally, Paul wrote in first Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10, and unto the married, I command yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So your wife out there, you, those of you who are looking to get away, let's say you reject Torah, although you can't reject Torah because Paul is speaking Torah. You just don't know he's speaking Torah because that's all he had Torah and the prophets. He didn't have a New Testament. Matthew hadn't been written. Mark hadn't been written. Luke, John, none of them. He says unto the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. What is he doing? He said, this is a command, but I didn't command this. This command didn't come from me. So, it's one thing to teach, and I can tell you, you could be in church all your life and not have this kind of message. And now it's like, because we're going through Matthew, we didn't had it twice. On top of Father telling me to do a series on it, which, you know, again, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I'm not throwing javelins at anybody because everybody is going to have to stand before the Almighty and walk in the grace the liberty, the freedom, whatever you believe, because what you and the Almighty have agreed to or what you've spoken to him, that's between y'all. But as for me, I know that the circumstance that I currently live in, the state that I currently live in, and I'm not talking about the geographical state, I'm talking about the psychological, the emotional, the spiritual state that I am in right now as a married man with a wife, who don't agree with my position. It would be easy for me to listen to some of my preacher friends and some of my Torah observant teaching friends who have divorced their wives and put them away and gave them money and sent them off. I can follow their example, but my conviction says they're not my leaders. They're not the one that I am following. And you can find your teachers who who give you permission and and disagree and refute and find some other verses that if you look at, because, see, I've had to carefully examine a whole lot of stuff in the New Testament. And if I had the privilege to sit down and actually have an honest conversation with some of these individuals without their hair, you know, standing up on the back of their neck and them screaming and getting all buckeyed and just. It's like, no, let's just reason together. Let's look at this. I know you make that argument, but let's look at the context. Let's look at the whole passage. Don't just throw a verse here and there. Let's look at the whole and let's understand what did Paul actually write? Because it's very clear when you look at the whole, but most people, they want to, well, what about what Paul said in this verse? Well, you know, you could take that verse, but if you take the whole you may come away with a different question or a different understanding. I mean, again, I'm not here to condemn anybody. That's not my role. That's not my job. We're in this passage of Matthew. I had to teach through it. <laughs> and I have to be diligent 
in my teaching to give you his word, not my opinion. Because I'm going to tell you something. There are people that I see who have gone through divorce, who have had abusive relationships and seemingly are together with someone that they look so happy with. There's a human side of me that wish I wasn't bound by what the Almighty has instructed me. And if I didn't have those specific instructions, I would not be bound and can do what emotionally I would like to do. But this ain't about me or my emotions or my feelings or your happiness. This is about equipping the saints for the work of ministry and preparing the same saints to stand before their maker and give an account for their lives just like I will have to do. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.